guest this week is Jason Ahipenny. Jason is the Head Gymnastics Strength and Mobility Coach at Movement Co in Perth, Western Australia. Jace was working an unfulfilling office job when he found calisthenics. He started training himself in the playgrounds around Perth, learning to do muscle ups, back levers, front levers and more. His passion for bodyweight training led him into coaching. He started out at a 24 hour gym and teaching handstand and gymnastic springs classes at a yoga studio. In the beginning, Jace was working with an array of different clients who had different goals, although his passion was calisthenics. It took him some time, but Jace ended up finding his tribe and working with more and more clients who wanted to learn bodyweight skills. We speak about Jace's transition into personal training, the long hours, the low pay and the grind. We also talk about the launch of Movement Co and some of the valuable lessons Jason and his colleagues learned as the gym business started to grow. Jace is certainly a passionate coach who loves the analytical side of coaching. He's all about the details, finding the next challenge and learning new skills. And boy does he have some skills. An inspiration to all of us in our 40s. He'll love me saying that. Anyway, it's nice to finally connect with Jason and hear more about his story. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Jason Ahupeni. It's a funny one because every time I'm asked my occupation, I sort of pause for a moment and think, how do I answer this? I mean, yeah, I'm a personal trainer, but I don't think of myself in the view that most people probably think of a personal trainer. As in, the short answer would be, I teach like recreational strength gymnastics and mobility training to people. And then people go, okay, so what does that mean? And that's when I sort of talk about like gymnastic rings and, and like calisthenics with bars and, and, and handstand type stuff, you know, and then just mobility being, you know, people are saying, you know, I guess go teach people to do splits and, and things like that. It's never really a completely short answer because it always comes loaded with questions after that. Yeah, I can, I can resonate with that, mate. When we introduce ourselves as coaches or trainers, people generally have those follow-up questions about what they should eat and all these yeah, other yeah. things that yeah. come with that. Isn't you it? Go, oh, yeah. Try and eat well. Yeah, that's it, mate. And you're also a dad and got some kids yeah. or how many kids? Um, are- look, I've only got the one presently. Yeah. However, she is 14 and eyeballing me these days. So, you know, like she's wonderful, but like all teenagers come with their own unique <laughs> let's say yeah kids challenge you in every way throughout their entire life i'm sure if we can re- rewind then and talk about you know maybe what you were doing before you became a coach and what got you into you know coaching in the first place you know like, it's a funny thing like i i sort of i was working in corporate sort of offices it was originally federal government behind the scenes sort of stuff for Centrelink and then I moved into the resources sector into what's called like document control or information management which is as exciting as it sounds and I did that for a while and look hey in the resources sector in Perth it's you get great income you know it, it certainly has its benefits and its advantages but it wasn't exactly very fulfilling. I'd always had that thought about, you know, I had enjoyed physical things like sports and training and stuff from when I was a kid. I did a little bit of gymnastics, did karate for about seven years. Then after I sort of got my black belt and at the age of 13 and started to want to do some other things that did like touch rugby, played rugby at school, you know, and then out of school it was, did a bit of bodybuilding style training because... Really, when I started going to gym, that's all anybody ever knew about as well. Like, you know, just like chest day, back day, you know, arm day. Like, went back to playing rugby, became a dad, ended up doing uh, a marathon. Oh, some half marathons and a marathon after realizing that I didn't want to keep playing rugby anymore. And then there was a bit of a period of time I did the marathon. I just went, what the... I, what am I going to do now? Like I, I want to, I want to keep training, but I didn't want to go back inside the gym. I enjoyed being outdoors with the running stuff, but I just knew that running marathons and trying to get just faster, it wasn't going to sustain me long-term. I needed something that I actually had to like really challenge me. As then that I was, I was still working in the, the office job, came across some calisthenics stuff online. I think 
who was like Frank Medrano and Ted Richards and like the Al Badlow, Danny Cavadlow, those sorts of guys. I saw these guys doing really cool stuff and they were, they were all adults as well. So it wasn't like I was watching some gymnast kids, you know, training and they were just training in like random looking playground park sort of areas. So I thought, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to try that out. You know, I'm going to run down to the park in the morning before anybody else in the family's up and I'm going to try and do some pull-ups and dips and, and what have you, because I didn't know anywhere else I could do it. There was no gyms. There was no, no, no places that had just sing, solitary bars to work on. You know, gyms were very much machines. So, and it kept me outdoors and it meant that I was, you know, out and about early in the morning, got my training done, and you, then you could go to work and be dead afterwards. It's starting to show your age, your age yeah. now, mate. Oh, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm no, no sapling here. Yeah. Been around for a while. But your, your story is very similar to mine. I was, I was busy training for marathons before I came yeah. you know, into the idea of becoming a personal trainer. And I was working in corporate at the same time as I was doing the marathon training. And I think off the back of you know, marathon training, I was like, wow, this health and fitness stuff is for me or I want to go down this path. I probably stuck at the endurance sports a little longer than you, but uh, yeah, yeah. It, didn't, it didn't keep obviously rewarding me like it sounds like it didn't for you. So anyway, you, you, you started training calisthenics. You've got down to the park. You're, you're doing all this sort of stuff. How did that lead to you know becoming a coach? So initially, for probably most of the first year, I was sort of just training in random parks, playgrounds, actually. I'd be there at like 6 a.m. in the morning yeah. or like earlier than that, you know, like 5 a.m. in the morning if it was summertime. And so... That way I, I wouldn't be that weird old guy over <laughs> the playground while the kid, you know, trying to kick the kids off it. And so like I, I sort of I went through, I taught myself how to do some muscle ups and some levers and stuff like back levers and flags. Uh, I really, really, really wanted to always do that, the human flag. But then like, you know, we're social creatures. And mm-hmm. it got to this point of it's like, oh, it would be nice to actually be doing this with other people. And then I just started meeting people who were sort of interested. Weather turned to crap. It started raining in Perth. And I was like, well, I, I can't train outdoors very much. So I went and joined a gym that actually had a setup where I could go and train flags on and stuff like that. They had a functional training zone. And of course, back then as well, you know, this is oh, this is a while ago, nine or 10 years ago now, mm-hmm. people would turn around and be going, what is that guy doing over there? And then some people would just think, okay, that's weird. I'm not interested in that. And then you get other people who go, I've seen that. I'm starting to do it too. And, you know, you start to build a little bit of a community from there. And I don't know, like this, as you would know, this type of training is, it's heavily skill-based mm. and it takes quite a bit of analysis. And, and if you don't have somebody there actually teaching you the finer aspects of it, you go through a lot of, periods of time where you're just sucking at something to try and figure out how it works you know and because I've been doing it for a bit longer than some of the people that I was coming across I, I tended to just try and help them where I where I could so that they could prosper from the mistakes I'd already made and believe me I've made many and then I realized well it made me remember actually as well that when I was doing karate at such a young age I used to teach quite a bit of the classes as well and Strangely enough, for somebody who's usually a bit more towards the shy side, particularly when I was younger, now that changes as you grow older, right? I, I realized that the, the side of me that always likes to help and, and, you know, analyze things was really good with movements and analyzing how a movement works, or how it should be working, what somebody's being able to spot what people are doing. And I ended up just sort of like teaching friends how to do stuff. And then from there, I was like, well, I'm really starting to get sick of being desk bound. Maybe I should do my personal trainer course, get that done sort of while I've got a a well-paying job, do a part-time, you know, get qualified and then maybe see if that takes me somewhere else. Even if it was just teaching people part-time while I was still working, at least it would be an outlet from what I was doing. But then it sort of just became a thing that actually sort of took over to the point where I went, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to make the leap. I've, I've met other people who are interested in this. And at the time, body weight started to become this thing that more and more people were getting interested. I think CrossFit actually had a lot to do with that as well. Got people into the gymnastic style of training as well. And it just sort of, it seemed like the right time to yeah. just to take a chance. Yeah, awesome, um, mate. Yeah. yeah. 
With that calisthenics training, it sounds like you were pretty much self-taught or just YouTube videos. Is that how you learned yourself or did you ever invest in a teacher? Tutorials, pretty much. And just watching things over and over to try and pick up where, how people were making those movements possible. I'm pretty obsessive when it comes to that sort of thing. And I will watch things obsessively until I can figure it out and put it into practice. I did, you know, so because there was nobody else around and I, I took a while to meet people. The, the first sort of period of time, the first year to two years was me just training and training with other people. And then when you start watching other people, you start to recognize a few more things. And as you know, as a, as a coach, the longer that goes on, the quicker you spot that, spot different things. I think that it just, after a couple of years of training, I did go and do a calisthenics course with the Cavadlo brothers when they were in Melbourne and Danny Cavadlo. And, and that was really cool. But what it actually solidified for me was that I actually did have some idea of what I was talking about. <laughs> Most of the stuff they were teaching, I had already had some aspect of, or I could actually do the thing. But it was just a great way to get out there and meet more people as well. Yeah. You know, community is a big thing when mm. it comes to fitness yeah. and, and getting people into a community. Yeah, definitely, mate. 100% agree with that. You know, I think at that time, that's when I was going through the CrossFit stuff as well. And CrossFit was yeah. what introduced me to gymnastics as it was as well. So I'd always struggle to keep up with the bigger guys when the barbells and the heavy weights came out. But when it was yeah, a yeah. body weight workout, <laughs> leave them yeah. in the dust. Yeah, yeah it definitely plays a part. You know, like <laughs> get a big dude. He can hurl some, some metal around very easy, you know, but it might struggle, you know, keeping up with somebody more explosive and smaller. So talk to us a little bit about this transition. So, you've, you know, you're working in the office. You've got a young yeah. family at the time. You've got this passion for calisthenics and bodyweight movement. You're exploring the idea of becoming a coach. Was this transition quick? Did you just go, okay, I'm going to jump in this and find out what happens? Or was it a slow transition and starting to ramp things up? It, it started sort of slowly. I, so I was pretty fortunate in that one of the parts that I used to train at was actually attached to my, my daughter's primary school. So as you start to know parents and stuff, being, you know, being a parent you know, in the local sort of community, people would see me training. And a lot of them actually used to attend like a step into life class. And so I sort of got to know the, the owner of that sort of that area. And I ended up teaching a few classes, you know, sort of running along their script, but I was given a little bit of leeway to try and improve general strength as well, which meant that there were some people a little bit unhappy when I was correcting them on their push-ups, finding out that they were going from 20 to zero on their toes. But, and, and then gradually I sort of met the guys at Air Yoga. Now, they were pretty much the first... I guess, movement type studio that was in Perth. And we've got quite a few now. And they taught gymnastic rings, handstands, and they taught aerial yoga. I didn't teach the aerial yoga stuff as, as such, but I did teach gymnastic rings and handstands with them. But they mentor, mentored me a bit through handstands and, and gymnastic rings as well, because most of my training had been on the bars in the park and stuff like that. So rings were a new thing for me at the time and definitely something that was reasonably humbling as well. You know, you, you think you're great at one thing and then you jump up on a set of rings and you can barely stay still because the stabilizers aren't there, you know. Just to probably finish off that question, I was, so that, that was just, I started teaching those classes part-time. I did that for a while. And then it started to, one of the projects that I was working on was starting to wind down in the resources sector. And there had been a gym that had opened up, a Jets gym that had opened up directly across the road from my house. And so I'd started training in there as well and talked a bit to the owner and she was she was great she was really on board with trying to get people to do something different they had like a functional bar set up in there but nobody really used it or really knew the things that they could utilize it for so she was very encouraging about getting me on board as a trainer over there so when the project that I was on wound up I just I thought to myself I don't I don't I can, you know, like resources, it was quietening down a bit. I thought this, if I'm going to make the jump, and it's a bit of a scary jump going from a well-paid salary where you're, you know, earning thousands of dollars a week for not a hell of a lot of work, to be honest, not, not 
particularly stretching you anyway, to having to go, well, now I need to make money just by offering my experience and, and coaching people. And that's not a given. Uh, so I had the classes there already that I was teaching part-time and then I just started putting hours in before I even left the, the resources sector. So that way I could start being known. And it's fortunate I was already training there anyway. So you train in a place, people see what you're doing, they start getting interested. So yeah. yeah. That brings up an interesting point, mate, because like we say, like right now, the calisthenics, the handstand, the movement sort of culture, yeah. everything that's happening in the industry, you know, it's pretty well known. And there are a lot of people, a lot of coaches, right. you know, working in this area right now. But that back then it was definitely something new. So how did you find, you know, your clients? Were you just teaching them this style of training or were you also doing body composition and weights training just to get enough clients? Or how did you start to introduce, you know, this calisthenics and handstands idea to, you know, Jets and the gym that you're working in? So, I mean, I think like everybody, you, you have some clients who, who are really just interested. In, I want to do something new. I'm bored with what I'm doing. I want to do what you're doing it looks interesting it looks fun it looks like a challenge you know and then i i did have the other people i i who i would just take through like sessions where i'd just pad up for them and do boxing sort of stuff or i'd just take them through some weights training or just a general sort of i guess what we think of when we think of a personal trainer in, in most commercial gyms in that you would be trying to get them a little bit fitter trying to get them their body composition to something that they are more comfortable with. But I, I generally started to skew more towards having clients who wanted what I was doing. And uh, it, that just sort of continued to grow. The more that some other clients would see, oh, well, you know, he's been teaching that, that person there and all of a sudden they've now got a muscle up or I've seen that they're starting to, you know, get pretty close to actually doing a flag, for example, or a handstand. When, when that starts to happen, it starts to build by itself without you having to push, push for it or walk around trying to bring clients into what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it takes a little bit of time. Yeah. So, so like right now I talk to a lot of coaches about niching down and choosing a niche and the specific type of clients that they want to work with. For you, it sounds like that was just a natural progression. Maybe the niche chose you instead of you... Yeah choosing the niche obviously you enjoyed you know training those clients more like that's where your passion lied yeah did what was the ratio did it start quite low and then just overtake it or did you find that okay because people knew what you did you sort of started 50 50 or how did how did it sort of begin in terms of you know your clients and what they wanted i'd say you were probably more likely 30 70 like 30 percent i mean you gotta think like this is a uh, a jets gym which is you know people pay a small amount of money to have the convenience of a 24-hour gym that they can almost go to feel better about themselves for having gone but not even really actually put in the a huge effort so i guess a lot of people are a little bit shy about doing something in a space like that that seems a bit different or, or fear of failure as mm. well so I think it was about 30, 70, 30% people who just came directly to me going, I want to do that. that. That's what I want to do. What you're doing right now, that's interesting to me. And then the rest of them was sort of general training, you know, or, or like boxing sort of training, just stuff that keep fit, feel good. Yeah. You know? yeah. And that's yeah. fair. Like, the, yeah. This type of training is not for everybody. <laughs> that's very patient, isn't it? It takes a yeah. lot of time. There's not that instant gratification sometimes. No. Yeah, you might get good at something reasonably quickly, but then all of a sudden, as soon as you go to the next, the next step for you, it's just a grind. Did, did personal training live up to your expectations? Like you've left this corporate job, getting paid well, you stepped into this, you know, this career, and you, know, you talk a little bit about the finances and the money situation, but what about the enjoyment of the job? Like, did it live up to your expectations? Enjoyed the job. I mean, and I, like, I, I guess this happens to all face-to-face trainers definitely and, and probably look trainers at any stage or particularly at the beginning stage of their career is that you are doing a lot of work and not necessarily being rewarded in the same financial way that you would in some other occupations there's a there's a lot of having to try and just meet some or create some sort of demand that actually will mean you'll get rewarded and and also just burning the candle at both ends you know like you end up working some pretty inhospitable hours, you know, 
or doing the the morning shifts, the evening shifts, and then you spend your time alone by yourself in the middle of the day, either trying to catch up on sleep or catch up on food or, or prep yourself for what's happening in the afternoon. And then you see your family or people that you care about after that. So it's, you know, you, there's those factors to weigh up there and they can weigh you down. I think it'd be pretty hard to just do that forever. In my opinion, just having a family and, and those sorts of things. And in the first, well, in the first few years, and even when we opened up with Movement Co, you, we just we were working six days a week. Mm. you know and and lots of hours and mornings and nights and sometimes you'd feel like you're a bit of a zombie and then your 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 profession as well is very much based upon your physical skills that you also possess and being able to give those like help guide people towards those physical skills that they that they want so I probably I'd say for the first few years I was I I really loved what I did but there were times where I just found it incredibly draining as well. I think it's a common story for a lot of coaches. The, the yeah. adrenaline and the, and the excitement about the job carries us through. You know, maybe it's 12 months, maybe it's two years. But, you know, like you say, the long working hours, the unsociable hours, the little pay, all these things start to add up over time. And, you know, every coach yeah. I talk to, it's, they've, they've experienced burnout. They've been close to burnout or it's been multiple times, you know, where, where they're burnt out because of the way, you know, the industry is set up and it doesn't really support the health and well-being you know, of its staff, no. which is a real shame. How many years were you at Jets? And then let's start to maybe talk a little bit about, you know, the birth of Movement Co and how that came all about. Look, I actually, I wasn't at Jets for an incredibly long time, really, by the time that Movement Co actually started to open up. I'd say it was probably only a little bit shy of a year, actually. Then Movement Co arrived and I, I continued doing some amount of classes at Air Yoga, but then eventually just became working in the one space, which is, you know, for a lot of coaches in this sort of arena, is probably a rarity that you just work in one space entirely. Often people are jumping around from, you know, two to three places or teaching in the park and teaching over here and then teaching a little bit there as well. But we tried to create a, a place where it was more of a seller for the main coaches with incentives to try and incentivize the business to grow as well. Having said that, I mean, as I've mentioned to you before, like we made lots of mistakes. We did all the things that everybody, you know, goes through giving away stuff for free and finding out that people who get stuff for free often just to then go to the next place expecting something for free as well. They don't really invest. It takes a long time to work out those those things that either help you grow or or basically will see you ultimately fail there's a lot of burnout in this industry and with good reason it's a tough industry to actually make things work mm. did you did you have any business coaching or were someone in the staff in the staff at movement co were they like business minded or were you just like a group of trainers love training wanted to get you know this style of training out there and we're like let's open a gym okay like so Initially, I met Jacob. So Jacob's the, the CEO of Movement Co. He's really the guy that actually made it all happen. I met him when we were doing our training certifications. He started coming along, like, you know, I was teaching some of the guys that were on our course how to do button hustle-ups and stuff. And, and Jake likes to do some triathlons. He went and did some parkour, did some calisthenics. But he also has a bit of, a, a bit of an engineering brain. So loves spreadsheets, loves calculations, all that sort of stuff. He met a couple of guys who were teaching adult gymnastics. Harry, who was very much on his way to becoming one of her first one-arm hand balances and who was really passionate about that, came from a yoga slash skateboarding background, which is interesting in itself. I met some park parkour coaches, climbing coaches, and Jacob had done quite a bit of weightlifting. So it was just this amalgamation of ideas. And we just sort of said, well, wouldn't it be really cool if you could actually take weightlifting and parkour and calisthenics, gymnastics, handstands, and, and climbing, which are all these separate disciplines, but have some interpersonal things going on there, and, and put them in one big space. So it was just this idea of, I guess wanting to be able to do all of the things that any of us were interested, but all together and teach people how to do that. And 
So he he had business coaches. He sort of left us guys to try and make sure that the classes were were the people that were in the classes were being engaged and learning and and creating like the class content. But he was sort of the driving force behind making sure the business actually operated. You know, we had you know quite a few meetings beforehand. Spoke to friends. Friend who was an accountant, like you know, look, it's, if this is something that we put ahead. Is it a feasible option? Anything's feasible as an idea. It's whether you're, you know, willing to make it work. And thankfully we have. I mean, it's seven, we're coming up to seven years in now, but it's by no means this completely settled thing where we're like, you know, it's just, it's all going to continue to work from here. It's a constant evolution, you know, and, and trying out things and, and implementing the things that we have tried out before that we know that work. Yeah, and avoiding the ones that we know that don't. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So, how feasible, let's say, was it at the start? Like, you guys have all come together. It sounds like you've got some different backgrounds there, some different experts and different things, and you're trying to teach such a variety of different things. How did that initial uptake go with members, and how did the business sort of grow? Well, so we sort of quickly figured out that there were some things that were very sellable to the adult recreational you know, fitness public. Handstands, gymnastics and calisthenics, which really, when we had two different titles, we were teaching the same thing. And weightlifting was already something that people were already interested in. It wasn't really the thing that people came to us for so much. It was really about bodyweight and handstands initially. Parkour and climbing. Like climbing, we couldn't really compete with climbing gyms. There's quite a lot of really big, great climbing gyms around here. And we only had like you know, a few walls set up. So we, we sort of found that that wasn't really something that we continued to grow as a main discipline. We kept it on for a little while as just a smaller aside and parkour for adults. Like the, we sort of found that that interested a few people, but it wasn't everybody. It certainly wasn't something where we could go, let's throw in a 6 a.m. parkour class and expect anybody to actually show up because half the time nobody showed up and if they did it was like one or two people and you're paying a coach to coach one or two people and you know there's a very there's a real difference between when you join up somewhere to go to a class environment when you're expecting to be surrounded by like-minded people and you get to enjoy that atmosphere and going along and there's one coach who's tired and cold and thinking why have I only got one person with me here and okay, great, I've created a class, but now it's a personal training session. It's not the same environment. And we sort of found that adults parkour wasn't really a big thing, so we could maybe have one class of that a week or two. But kids, kids absolutely love parkour. Kids love to run and jump. And if you think about it, like parents love to see their kids running and jumping and and learning how to roll and fall and, and doing these things. So... That was one thing we hadn't planned on initially, but when we realized that parkour wasn't something we were going to be able to sell as an adult's program, but then we tried it as a kid's program and it took off. That, that probably pulled us out of a pretty tough place at the time, actually, yeah. where you know, you're know you trying to grow something that you all love, you're being paid salaries, your overheads are really high, but you're not necessarily making the inroads that you need to to, to start to balance the books. You know, yeah, you yeah, only exactly. go on so long without making a change, a drastic change. I think it's a common mistake, you know, on paper, we can sit down and we can plan this business or we can write a program and we can set up yeah. these sort of templates or ideas about what we think our clients want. And yeah. then the reality when we release it, it's like there's crickets or, you know, people aren't turning up to classes. Like, mm, we've missed it there, haven't we? But it's awesome yeah. to see like you guys adapted and evolved. Like you say, you know, parkour is not something maybe that a lot of adults want to be involved in, but the kids obviously love it. Like, you know, it's like an obstacle course for them. I'm sure they have a great time. <laughs> running around the gym, <laughs> swinging on things and jumping on things, sort of like you say. What other things, you know, where else do you think you made, you know, mistakes and what have you learned in the process? Look, there's, there's been many mistakes. Sometimes it's just personality things. You know, you, you don't have quite the right personality fit for the actual job. Certainly, you know, we were trying to create an environment where, and you've probably seen this straight, where you see in some gyms, some of the trainers almost cannibalise the population that's in there and they're they're so competitive with each other that it creates an environment that's actually not a great working environment and often customers will start to pick up on that at some point and and 
we had this sort of environment where we tried to create you know, paid salaries, the opportunity to earn more for those people who were more about the financial side of it. And, but then sometimes you've got, you know, we had, we've had this from time to time, we've had like one or two of the coach, for whatever reason, very competitive. And they really start trying to push forward to just try and draw more money from the business towards them. And look, that's, that's not an issue unless it starts to affect your membership base mm. or you start to get one coach who starts to say, well, all of you people should be taught by me because I'm the best at teaching this sort of thing and I'll keep you the safest. And they start trying to pull people in from other people's classes. We're not trying to create a, a space where everybody has to gravitate towards one person. We're trying to create a space where everybody feels free to actually do whatever it is that they're interested in at the time. But some, for one client, it might be that they're really into weightlifting for a while and then they go, you know what, I'm, I need something different. I'm going to get into handstands now. And just because they're no longer attending your class doesn't mean that they're dead to me now because they now do handstands. You know, it's the same. Like I, I push people sometimes towards other parts of the gym because I recognize that they've probably done as much as they can with me for a while. And if they really want to be able to do handstand push-ups, then they need to go actually work on getting a handstand for a start. If that means that they attend my class one or two times less per week, but they go and learn that thing and they might get really jazzed on it and stay over there, it's not a problem. You know, I'm still going to get to see them. It's just, we want to look at an environment where it was a community and sometimes some coaches don't fit that mold. Yeah. Um, so we've had those sorts of things, you know, giving away too much stuff for free or giving it away too cheaply from time to time. Like, you know, with this type of training, unless somebody invests in it, they're not going to stay because it'll get hard really, really quick. So, you know, there's those sorts of things. We don't give out as much stuff freely as much anymore, but we're still happy to try and teach people stuff online, even if they're not paying us in terms of maybe something that we put up on Instagram, which shows how to do some sort of movement or a little tutorial or something like that, you know, it's not like that we want to keep all the secrets, but we don't want to have people just coming and gym hopping because they're getting free memberships everywhere. I totally get it. You know, you brought up some really good points there. I think, you know, a lot of coaches are stepping into the role of becoming gym owners or, you know, launching a business or employing staff under them. And it's taking on those extra responsibilities. Like now it's not you just managing your own business and your own PT clients. You've all of a sudden got to manage staff. You've got to manage schedules. You've got this growing number of customers and this admin everything that you've got to do. How did you guys sort of split that up? Was that just given to one person or were you a part of that? And, and how did you manage that? Look, so Jacob sort of as the, the manager and the, like he ended up employing one of the guys as a manager for a while, but he's now stepped back into that role to sort of trim down staff numbers because it did expand a bit too much at one stage. But generally what happened is we had head coaches. So I'm a head coach of body weight and mobility and you sort of tended to look after that area make sure that the schedules are created for your program make sure the program's created make sure that the guys who might be teaching a few classes in it are aware of the movements that they're teaching and how we teach and generally just make sure that we're monitoring like the attendance of classes and that sort of stuff and, and signing people in so we try and keep that role pretty pretty simple jacob really as the owner and sort of manager slash ceo of the business he sort of tended to look after all of the like recruitment sort of side of things. And, you know, there's a couple of us that are shareholders. We meet Harry and, and Jacob. So we meet sort of regularly just to discuss things. Think, and, you know, it's at that point in time that we'll go, oh, do you think we need to implement this? Or do you think we need to step back and, and bring somebody in to, into this role but it's largely been this sort of thing and you can probably you probably guess it from how we sort of started like a bunch of guys going this is really really cool let's just do this it's largely been a thing that's had to evolve over time it's like all of us went in completely green none of us had had a gym before most of us had different backgrounds you know a lot of the times, you know, we weren't specifically even coaching as a career beforehand, but we had the necessary skills that we could pass on to people and teach. So 
the early days were a bit of a like a suck it and see experience <laughs> that thankfully managed to work out. Yeah. 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 It was one of those scenarios where we didn't have the best laid plans. And, you know, as we all know, sometimes with this stuff, best laid plans, you've got everything worked out. And then you realize that none of your plans are going to be the thing that you use in. I think we had the same momentum in, in London when we had the gym. There were three of us business partners and, you know, we just all loved to train. And the best parts yeah. of it was teaching the classes, working with the members. And we didn't really think about, you know, managing the staff, managing the accounts, taking care of all the business stuff on the side of yeah. that. So in a sense, we turned a bit of a blind eye to it and we just thought it'll sort itself out. But like you say, in the long run, you, stuff that you're really going to start to look at, aligning your staff, like you say, getting the right teams together, the business mission, the business values, the direction, yeah. all the things that are, are very important to growing the business because you'll only get so far before you oh, obviously yeah. start to hit these limits or things start to break. So it sounds like you've been through that experience as well. And we sort of we sort of learned as well that because we had Jacob doing the ownership role and weightlifting as well. And weightlifting was one of our main disciplines. And we realized that you couldn't have a guy who needed to do all the recruitment, to, to run all the meetings, to do all the numbers, pay all the bills and, and look after all of those things, running a full-time program as well, because it's just too much. A full-time program is... Yeah. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot you have to think about and do. So gradually, Jacob sort of moved out of the teaching role and he sort of just jumps in and teaches a class here and there when required, if, you know, we're at short notice sort of thing because he, he knows all of the different things that we do and he can sort of jump in. But mm -hmm. it's just more like if he can facilitate rather yeah. than be full-time coach. We also ended up outsourcing admin. That was one thing that made a big difference because... As you know, like you just get so many emails and like trying to just get back to everybody. And, and you know, there's, if you're the focal point of everybody's, you know, fitness life and, you know, trying to deal with just putting all the memberships on hold for people who are going away and stuff like that, that's a job. That's a whole yeah. other job it takes. So outsourcing was actually really, really useful for us to free up Jacob's time. So he also didn't just just explode it's, it's one of those things you look back on isn't it like well, what could have we outsourced at the start and i think at the start we're just like okay we've got to make this business work we've got to do everything and like you said before you know you're working six seven days a week and you're working long days and it's just trying to get the business in the black or get it to a point where you know it's turning over money before you outsource admins outsourced is there anything else that you guys have outsourced in this journey or at the moment you've, you've, you've found the right people to do certain things look so We've, sort of, we, we've got this model where we've got three sort of head coaches for our probably what our main adult disciplines. And then the kids parkour actually runs separately as well. So they've got their head coach who runs that. And then they've got their coaches who a lot of the time are like, they're, you know, they're teenagers, you know, because they're the people who actually do parkour, as we found out. And so, you know, you've got casual kids coaches teaching parkour you've got your head parkour coach who oversees that program then you've got myself you've got harry who oversees handstands and then we've got another coach joel who oversees the weightlifting side of thing so like they're all of those things are now they're running pretty smoothly everything's pretty busy all the time we do have casual coaches who sort of fill in between the different parts for like particularly for like bodyweight handstands but we also run like a, a fundamentals class we call it which mm -hmm. is like a beginner's intro to body weight and handstands. We found that we tried to, to use that for weightlifting as well. But the thing that's great about weightlifting is that you can take somebody new into a class of experienced lifters and just go, right, all you're working with is this barbell or even the stick until we can get the things working correctly. You can only downgrade handstands and body weight training, particularly highly specific skills body weight training, so much, you know, you can elevate a push-up, for example. You can have somebody doing feet-assisted pull-ups, but then when half of your class is about doing something upside down yeah. and the person is struggling with being upside down, you really need a coach who's going to have less students in a class and able to give more time to people as beginners. Yeah. Some people do one beginner's class and then go, cool, I'm, I'm done. I'm ready for the other classes. I'm raring to go. Some people will stick in there for months you know, yeah. and we just let people find their own time that they feel comfortable within that. Yeah. So, yeah, so we have those 
a few coaches who sort of flit in between those the fundamentals class, the body weight and handstands class. But their guys have trained this stuff all the time, they're there all the time. You know, they've, they're teaching their own personal clients in there. And really that sort of, we make sure that that keeps them fed financially yeah. as well, you know, allow yeah. them to prosper at the same time as being part of the community. So you've got coaches teaching the classes. There's personal training there as well. How does the personal yeah. training work at Boobie Co? Um, so it's generally the guys that are already teaching classes with us and they might, they might get fed clients from some, some, somewhere else. Or we might have people that come in and ask about personal training and think, you know, Rob or Vaughn, Louis, like they're a great fit for this person. We'll, we'll pass them over to that person. So we do get inquiries about it, but we tend to try and feed our classes first because that's what keeps the gym open and affects the community. And then we also have a once a month thing for all of our unlimited members where they get to just choose a one-on-one -on -one session with the coach of their choice and organize it between the coaches. And so those guys can do those as well. Sometimes it will turn into something more because the person will go, you know, well, I, I really like the way that they coach. I want to do a bit more with that person. They, whether they just have a program from that coach that they do and check in with them, or whether they actually start their own personal training. Like we want our people to have that freedom to feel like they can move and do yep. things in their own terms. Yep. In terms of the financial side of it, we don't really take punch from one-on-one -on -one sessions. It's not the thing that actually our business is built on anyway. Our business is built on having the classes and the memberships, keeping the place alive. So it's we don't charge a, a weekly rent or anything like that because we also don't want them to have to try and meet this demand of things are quiet. You know, when when you're thinking about coaches that we have, like you got to be highly skilled by the way to handstands in order to be able to teach that to clients. And so the people that we that we do have who are capable of doing that. And also, I mean, I guess you need to think about the fact that some people might be great athletes, but not great coaches. You know, like some people are, can do everything. He's like, wow, that guy's amazing. But you'll never learn anything off them. Yeah. Just because they don't know how to impart something in a way that other people understand and how to, and to put it into practice. So those people that we do have, like they're gold for us. I'm curious off the back of that, like, how do you go with coach retention? Like, you know, how do you keep your coaches motivated? How do you keep them, you know, keen to keep coming back? Or like you say, they're highly skilled coaches. What's stopping them from going away and doing their own thing? Oh, look, we actually have no issue if they do do their own thing as well. Like some of them really are starting to create, and, and, and you'd probably appreciate this, online coaching careers, you know? Yeah. And we give them a space that actually probably actually helps them facilitate that because, you know, during time between classes, they can train, they can coach clients, they can record videos because we've got all the equipment, we've got all the things that are really super helpful for creating, you know, the content that you need. And, you know, like, look, there's quite a few movement places in Perth. Weirdly, it's it, Perth is really taken to that culture, which is great, which is a fantastic place to be. So there's... A couple of other places that teach, you know, I think we've got about four of our coaches actually teach classes at another gym inspired movement, mm -hmm. um, which is a bit more of a studio than size than what we are. Like we are a big space. We're close to a thousand square meters mm -hmm. and we have no issue with that whatsoever. You know, they only continue to grow coaching more. You know? And it is one of those things. Like I, I do things so differently myself than what I did eight years ago. I, like, I think sometimes I occasionally come across old little programs that I've written for classes or for clients and I look at them and just go, oh, my God, what, what was I thinking? I guess we all go through that. But you just like, look and think, why? Why? What is even? What, what even is that? Yeah, um, yeah. I think if you don't look back scary. at that stuff and, and question it and go, why, what was I thinking back then? I think it's a sign that you've stopped growing. And like yeah. to look back yeah. and sort of say, okay, that's what I was like back then and to see how far you've come now. It can yeah. be quite rewarding in a sense. Of oh, I actually find it really funny. I like sort of like look at it, have a Google and I go, oh, sometimes you pick up a gym and you go, I'd forgotten about that. that actually, that's actually a good drill. I'm yeah. not going to look again at the rest of the 90% of that program, but I will take that back again, you know, because there is so much, so many things. It's so complicated, uh, so complex. These movements. Yeah. It's trying to figure out the ways to make them simple too. 
financially, how's it all going for you guys at Movement Co? You started to talk about, obviously, there's some competition, there's more movement gyms popping up around Perth. Like, how are you guys going with that? And maybe a little bit in terms of, like, what's the future look like? Yeah, look, you never want to just completely settle for what you are currently because, you know, over the coming up to seven years, we've sort of every year there's been a bit of a change in how we operate. I know like on probably on a personal level, but it's also like sort of affecting some of like our other coaches and clients as well. Like, I mean, I perceive that we may have a little bit more circus style training, maybe maybe happening in the future. Like, I mean, we do have a lot of equipment. I mean, as you know, I'm a straps performer these days, which was never in the original plan. And one of like one of the other coaches, Louis has an amazing hand balance. I'd probably say he's the best hand balancer I know of in Australia. And he's already performed in some circus shows. And, you know, what well, I'm sure at some stage you'll probably further that career and go on to become something huge internationally. Is it just, just outstanding? And he's only, what, 20 years old? Wow. Much better than trying to turn into a circus performer at the age of 45. It's never too late, Jace. Never too late. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's not actually, as it found out. I, w- I actually thought it probably would be, but once again, another thing I fell into by chance, really. So I guess maybe there might be a little bit more of that. We certainly want to keep growing the program that we have and expanding it. I mean, we've had some people that have been training with us for years now, in some cases, probably like five, six years, you know, and as that continues to, to go on and these people continue to get better, like you find that we're, we're starting to teach things that I never thought would actually even broach as a subject, like things like training for the Iron Cross, for example, sort of always looked at that and just went, that's a professional gymnast thing that, you know, maybe one of two very, very talented adults might be able to get but as it turns out it's probably achievable for more people if they're prepared to put in the length of time and training and you know Mm. be smart about it off the back of that like that's quite a specific like movement in terms of i suppose people that want to get that iron cross but also like you say the number of members in the gym who are probably going to get to that level and it's a question i want to put to you in the sense of like you know you talked a little bit about it before about you know people being ready to handstand or people being ready to, you know, join a certain class and directing them this way or that way to sort of progress to that class. How are you finding that? Because obviously in the early days, you've got a lot of members that are pretty new. Everyone's sort of going at the same level, but now you've got guys and girls that are probably up here and you've still got new members walking in the door. How do you oh. juggle this with these sort of classes? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I sometimes, look, the fundamentals thing is actually the thing that bridges that because, and, and then when, you know, the, that person is a little bit shy who does eventually graduate into the, the big, bad, scary bodyweight class or the, the handstand class or the weightlifting class. You know, and, and they gradually move in and then they, they talk to somebody next to them and the person goes, oh, yeah, I remember not being able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, wow, because you're just flying up there on the rings at the moment. And then you, you talk about how when you got your first one. Yeah, it, it is one of those things. I Sometimes I look around while I'm training as well. And I'll look around and I'll think, okay, you've got me and a couple of other people doing straps here, which, you know, we're doing one-arm switches and and stuff like that, which seem to defy logic to people. And then there's another guy, two or three people over there holding one-arm handstand. And then there's somebody over there working on a Forza on the Iron Cross or another person working on a Mexican handstand. And it would be a hell of an intimidating place to walk into if your previous experience had been running a marathon, say, or using the lap pull-down machine at the local jets. It's it's one of those things that you that would that would be really intimidating. I, I you know, mm. and you can sometimes see it with some people and you think, okay, I don't I don't know if I'll they'll really come back because that might have just looked too far gone for them. But it's just letting them know that, hey, look, you know, there is a fundamentals program and that all of those people that are doing those amazing things over there, they've been doing it for years. They started out the same way as you. They walked in, they looked at what was happening, went, oh, my God, that's pretty insane. I'd like to be able to do some of that. I don't even know where to start. And you just tell them it's a journey. And, you know, regardless of how long it takes and and what path that looks like for you and, and how fast it happens it's just just a personal thing yeah Uh, yeah 
You know, yeah. we've got a very welcoming community. People, if they see a new person will walk in, will often say, hey, how are you doing? Which is what we wanted. That, that's what we really wanted in the first place. Was we, wanted, well, we wanted a place where people would actually just come in and hang out, and people do. People yeah. spend hours in the gym, you know? It's not like a, I'm, I've got 30 minutes, I'm here to jump on the treadmill. People will literally come in and bring their lunch. They're at the end of their training so they can sit around and hang out with their mates, you know? And whether those mates half the time are actually their, th- their teachers too. There's not this, you're a student and I'm a coach and you're yeah. down here and I'm up there because unfortunately, funnily enough, actually in our space, a lot of the time, you know, you'll get people who end up, there's lots of people in there that handstand better than I do, you know, mm-hmm. handstands are a pretty small part of it for me these days, but you know, then there's some of the students and I go, oh, wow, that person just held a two-minute handstand and now they're making shapes and I'm like their shapes are better than mine and their handstand line looks better than mine too you know keep it humble you know? yeah that's it mate keeps you honest <laughs> let people know you get good at what you do what you practice you yeah know? that's a great message mate and I think it's one thing that we've got to try and do you know with with the fitness culture and how things are obviously evolving there are yeah. a lot of advanced sort of stuff coming out and I think the, the whole culture is changing quite rapidly and it can be intimidating for new people oh, to God, walk into that. Yeah. But to have a journey or to have a foundations program or to have certain structures set up is definitely sort of helpful along the way. Yeah, I'd like to talk to you about your training a little bit. I mean, if you've got some time left, I know you've got to run it quickly, but uh, oh, yeah, 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 cool, mate. Uh, yeah, so the gymnastic stuff, the calisthenics, you know, you've got an impressive Instagram with, you know, some of the movements that, you know, you were doing. That's what initially attracted me to, you know, you as a coach and, yeah. you know, us working together for a little bit there. What led you to straps and how did that still come about? It's funny because, look, I, I, I'd i gone to a lot of sex shows, really enjoyed seeing, you know, what people did. And we also had, you know, people like who were circus performers training at the gym, like most of them you know, were sort of, you know, they, they'd only come in once a week and stuff. But I already sort of knew them from that background. And look, I was like, I'm, I'm pretty pretty strong on rings. But I, I also sort of looked at what I was doing and thought, I'm at this point where now, if, I, if, it, if rings is the thing, I literally need to become an actual gymnast, which is, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my 40s and I, and I loved rings training, but I thought it's probably about time to just give myself another challenge. I, I, the thing I love about the stuff is that it's actually about learning. You know, it's learning new pathways, learning new patterns, analyzing how you approach a skill. And I think that's why a large part of my training, particularly at the beginning and, and even still through a lot of this has been a lot of about learning by myself or just training with friends and learning from what we we're doing because I actually love to obsess over it, absolutely obsess. And my fiance actually said to me, she goes, I think you should try straps. And I'd seen straps performances before and I was like, yeah, that, look, that looks pretty badass, you know, like, and, and I also thought there is some carryover between straps and, and gymnastic rings. You know, you can do the cross and planches and levers and handstand and straps. So like there is that carryover of already things that I was getting good at onto straps, you know? So I was like, yeah, yeah, why not? It became quite apparent to me that very good at holding straight body shapes was helpful just for the two-arm strength stuff, but not helpful for one-arm move. So I bought some straps, put them up at the gym, found out that, holy shit, I'm, I'm really far back from where I thought I was going to be, like the first time I hopped on some gymnastic rings. And, I, and that was probably what hooked me there and then. And then I had, like, I had a couple of PTs with some performers slash coaches, but there wasn't a many people Ground that you could learn off of many people actually even training it and i did a couple a few programs online with coaches and stuff as well and and you know like when you start out doing something as you as you know yourself stretch you know you'll you'll start some sort of new discipline you'll go i really want that handstand push-up and for me it was i really wanted to be able to switch from what's called a meter into a what they call in straps a flag or where you've got your arm twisted behind your back and you're you know horizontal so because i'm obsessive and because there was that challenge and that thing about learning and analyzing i just threw myself in you know like before with training you know calisthenics for the start and all sort of thing made lots of mistakes 
you learn from mistakes. Just yep. try not to continue to repeat them. Found out that also, like, you've done some Edo Portal stuff before, right? The, the yeah. methodology that he had of the gymnastics sort of strength training. You know, like sometimes maybe doing 20 single one rep max repetitions mm. didn't actually work very well with the circus stuff. Yeah. <laughs> because the, the skill component was so high that you would literally just destroy yourself. So I've had to adapt to training again, you know. And, and that's great because you learn so many things. I had to get more mobile. So mobility became a big factor again. Like, you know, it had to improve from where it was. So therefore then, you know, you start to learn more about that. I've been doing some of the range of strength stuff and it's great. You know, it, it's really, really helped and it's opened up pathways. And, and then all of those things that you do and you invest, you know, some sort of money in and, and time particularly the big thing being time it helps your clients you know? yep. if, you, if you're if you're teaching your clients that doesn't have to be the same thing that you're doing but something that involves some similar movement patterns you know understanding okay right your hips need to be in this slightly elevated position in an anterior pelvic tilt right now as opposed to a posterior pelvic tilt yeah. That that's yeah. that's like absolutely game changing when it comes to complex bodyweight movements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's awesome, mate. I love the, your excitement around obviously training. I can see the passion that you've got for that, uh, and definitely that love of learning and the curiosity that you have around training. And I think you know it sums up our conversation today, like a lot in terms of like what you're doing in your training and how you're trying to learn new things, how you're exploring failure. And getting back on the wagon and, you know, just keep going with it and progressing is very much tied into the whole approach with our business as well. You know, yeah. we trial yeah. and error with business, try new things, see what works, be willing to fail, be willing to accept that and just not giving up, which is really, really good. Sometimes um, you got to stuck. You really suck for a long, long time. <laughs> but finding those weaknesses and then obviously finding the way around it. You know, you're talking now about mobility being your limitation. Well, it's definitely my limitation with a lot of stuff that I do in my gymnastics training as well. But finding yeah. the right people that can help you, like, you know, Lucas yeah, with yeah. range of strength or approaching those people and not being afraid to, to ask for help because it just saves you so much time in the long run. And look, and I'm really, I feel like I'm really fortunate to do what I do. You know, I mean, we worked ridiculous hours and ridiculous days at the start, but I'm in this space now where I'm, I only teach three mornings a week, but I really enjoy that. So I don't get burnt out within those times. It gives me a bit more time to be a dad. It gives me a bit more time to put a bit more thought into our programming. It gives me more time to like train and explore, you know, and it also means that those things like we, uh, if you're a time poor PT who's trying to handle 60 to 70 hours worth of clients or maybe trying to manage a hundred clients online, sometimes when you, that time pressure's on you, you just, you don't give what you should when you should definitely feel a bit more freed up these days and, and then that capacity to do those things. And that's like the big thing I'm trying to work with coaches on. It's like, you know, a happy, healthy, rested, you know, personal trainer is going to deliver so much more value than a tired, burnt out, stressed, anxious personal trainer. And unfortunately, the way that industry is set up, more trainers are in that second state of just being oh, oh, burnt yeah. out and working too hard. And it has a downstream impact, like it's affecting their business because they're not delivering a service to a certain standard. But it's a tricky game because, you know, like you say, we all go through that grind. It's all about, you know, getting there, in there, figuring out, you know, your path and the direction you want to take. And then somehow being able to, you know, step into that role and take yourself down that path and have success with that. Yeah. You know, it sounds like you've put in the work, you found your niche, you found the area that you, you're good at and what you want to teach. And, you know, it's worked out for you in the long run, Jace, which has been epic to hear about. So thanks for sharing that story with us. Oh, man. Thanks for having us on board. It's, uh, it's been great to actually chat with you in person, right? You know, <laughs> but, you know, thanks for having me on board. Like, you know, we've got a massive turnover rate in this industry. Mm. You know? And the thing about this industry is that you can get your qualifications, but that's only the start. You know, like that's the start of when you start learning. Those qualifications are just the part that actually gets you to be able to start learning about your job and yeah trying i guess trying to find a way that helps people when they're particularly in those early years of trying to be experienced enough to to really be able to help people to find their passion to find their niche those things that will enable, enable them ultimately to actually continue to have a career in the fitness industry that's a 
that's a big task because we, we are we aren't set up for success. No. More often, no. I think we're set up to fail. I couldn't agree more. Chase, just before you finish up, I've got okay. three three little questions I'd like to like to ask you. So these are the okay. three little questions that I'm starting to ask all coaches at the end, and just to get a bit more of an insight. So number one is like if you could gift a book, or let's say it's a, a video, or it's a, maybe it's a TED talk or whatever, to a personal trainer who wants to build you know a sustainable career, what would that book be, or what would that resource be? Wow. Okay. That, that's that is a big one. If it was book i don't know if I've, I've read a book that would really answer that question completely my first probably suggestion would be to actually find a mentor first and foremost if there was somebody that was interested in this type of training because it's specific to me it would probably be oh god gymnastics book i'm trying to remember i haven't read it for a while it's not like overcoming gravity or something like that yes overcoming oh, okay. gravity yeah because it, it's it's a bit robotic, but it, it teaches a pathway. So if you're a trainer wanting to learn how to do bodyweight training, I would recommend that book. I haven't read a book that would successfully tell me how to have a sustainable fitness career, really, to be honest. I've, mm-hmm. So I've been so fortunate in that I haven't really had to go down that. But maybe that could be a project for you, Stretch. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I like the idea of mentors, mate, and I've had a chat, you know, I think it, just about all of my guests have spoken about their mentor along the way. And I think we can all look back and think about, okay, the most I've learned that's helped me get to where I am in my career has actually come from working closely with a mentor over yeah. any course, over any book, over anything, any other resource I've had. The time I've spent with coaches like yourself or, you know, different mentors has definitely helped me grow in my career. Like you say, the more you learn, the more you practice, the more you do what you're preaching, then, you know, the easier it becomes to help your clients and share that knowledge. My second question is like, what advice would you give to a younger version of yourself? Ah, oh, okay. I'll start doing this earlier. <laughs> Maybe not gymnastics as a kid, actually, because mm-hmm. I actually think if I'd, I, I've seen many ex-gymnasts who are just burnt out because they did so much at a young age. But I would probably suggest, and look, to be honest, I mean, maybe I wouldn't have been able to actually recognize and self-analyze and, and self-regulate things enough to be good at coaching when I was younger anyway. But it probably would have been just to start this sort of stuff a bit earlier rather than thinking I was going to be a rugby player when, <laughs> when realistically at the time, like I enjoyed it, but I, I was I was never going to be a great rugby player. It's funny looking back, isn't it? Like the journeys that we've had, like, you know, we go back to marathon days and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and yeah. Geez, what was I doing then? <laughs> like, what didn't well, I do? Great marathon reader, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite built the, the right way for it. Yeah, exactly. All right. My last question, mate, is if you could have dinner with anyone being dead or alive, who would that be and why? Oh, man. Jeez. Wow. Okay. This is one of those things that you answer and then you go later on. Oh, that person would have been better. There's so many people that you think of, like there's amazing intellectuals that you could think of that I might not be able to keep up in conversation. You know what? Like, Probably talking to to people that actually stood up for for something that actually really went through things. I mean, I feel like I've led a pretty blessed life. I've never really had to struggle, you know, against anything too much, you know. But then you've got those people, I guess, like a like a, a Martin Luther King who who basically decided to stand up for an oppressed people mm. and in a country that was incredibly divided. Or somebody like a Muhammad Ali who you know, he he went to jail, he, you know, he, but he, he did it for the things that he believed in, you know, changed his name, like he went through many things in his life. You know, if, we, if we're going to say something, let's, let's go with Martin Luther King. It's, it's excellent to sort of think about how lucky we are. You know, we do look at the struggles and we do look at the hard times and it can be easy to focus on the negative, but being grateful and having that appreciation for, you know, what we have got yeah. and reflecting yeah. on, you know, some of the struggles and the hard times that, you know, people, other people are going through really can put, put things in perspective. So, yeah, definitely yeah. would be an interesting conversation with someone like that at the table, mate. I guess, actually, there's one thing I want to sort of add to that because, I mean, we live in the day of the internet and social media and that sort of stuff and everybody puts forward their their best face, you know, and that's all we see. It's that thing about being grateful about where we are, which is hard in a day and age where we just see people doing all of these things. And I get it as well. Like I sometimes look at social media and I look at this 
circus artist who's doing something, I'm like, why can they do that? And I don't think I'll ever be able to do that. And wouldn't it be amazing to be them? But the grass is not always green on the outside. Mm. And we never really see the trials and tribulations that people are going through because that's that's not the life that we see. We, we often see just the facade of when things are successful, you know. But every time, everybody has crap to deal with, yeah. regardless of how great their life is. And I have no desire to be famous, but people worship celebrities, you know. Yeah. But fame is a trap as well, you know. Mm. Be grateful for what you got. It, it, it's, it's the most important thing, I think. Yeah, powerful words, mate. Love it, love it. Where can people find out more about you, Jace, or find out more about Movement? Oh, look, so Movement Codes are pretty easy to find on Instagram, Movement CEO, yeah. yeah. Uh, me, <laughs> my, my surname is not exactly easy to spell, but it's just me. Like Jason Ahipini, so A-H-I-P-E-N-E on Instagram, on Facebook. You know, like, it's funny. I used to have, like, a different name. You know, we change all our, our names for, like, things like, you know, I'm really into this. So that's my name. And then after a while, I just went, you know what? It's just me. What I do will change. I don't need to have something that changes with me because I, I just am who I am. Yeah. Stay authentic, mate. Stay authentic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things you try to be in a day and age where it's not exactly always the thing that's done. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, Jace. Been great to chat to you, mate. Thank you for making time or carving out time oh. to share your story with us. Thank you, Stretch. Yeah, it's been great. Absolutely great. Thanks for having us on. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Protect the Asset podcast. I'd be grateful if you can leave a comment, add a review, and share this podcast with those who might find it helpful. A lot of personal trainers want to build an online business that allows them to have more freedom in their life, but they lack the business skills to succeed on their own. They've tried building a website, consistently posting on social media, creating a YouTube channel, and sharing loads of education material, but none of it seems to help their online business grow. They're left feeling frustrated, overwhelmed, and ready to give up. I get it. I moved my personal training career online in 2018. I believe personal trainers deserve to have an online business that allows them to work less and earn more. So... I created the Protect the Asset Business Coaching Program that teaches online personal trainers the business skills they need to succeed. It's time to stop wasting time on marketing and sales strategies that just don't work. If you want to build an online business, but you're not sure of the best way to go about it, visit www.protecttheasset.co to learn about building a business that gives you both freedom and financial security. Thanks for listening and I wish you all the success and happiness in your personal training career.